Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Janelle Hanchett, author of the freshly published book, I'm Just Happy to Be Here, a memoir of renegade mothering. Timing is great with Mother's Day coming up. It might be a great gift for someone or for yourself because Janelle shares some important and interesting insights. We might find ourselves nodding our head or maybe shaking it, but we will be inspired, I think and applaud the openness and honesty of this amazing woman and writer. Janelle Hanchett, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this opportunity as uh, you have this new book. You've had your blog for quite some time, but the new book, I'm just happy to be here. You, Well, you're happy that we're having this conversation, right, Janelle? I am indeed, very. <laughs> but uh, but here's the book. I'm just happy to be here, a memoir of renegade me- mothering. And I'm really happy. I'm really pleased that uh, we have this opportunity because you give us really this very honest, and renegade's a, a great word, a very honest look at motherhood. Uh that's a very personal thing and something different than, oh, I have to fit this mold that is all these kind of peaches and roses and uh, whipped cream or something like that. Absolutely. That is exactly what I was thinking when I when I called the blog that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been an interesting time in your life, fascinating, mm-hmm. all the ins and outs and ups and downs, and uh, certainly you cannot say it was a, a quiet, uh, reserved type of life up until this point. No, it wasn't. Um, I became a mother quite young and unexpectedly, and from there it was quite an adventure. <laughs> and, you know, what is interesting, and aside from the fact that this is such raw, honest conversation about your experiences— it is so remarkable that you met your the father of your child. You were pregnant at 21, and you are still together. We are, against all odds. Yeah. <laughs> we had known each other three months when I found out I was pregnant, so that's probably a lesson to kids. <laughs> <laughs> and we separated a couple times, but now we have four children together, and we've been together 17 years. So... Yeah, I think, uh, you know, marriages can endure a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and if if you're telling your kids or you're telling listeners about this and you say you know someone for three months and you get pregnant and you decide to uh, get married, that isn't necessarily the kind of guidelines you want to give. And yet here you are, you know, proof that this happens to be successful. Right, exactly. That's the exact predicament I find myself in. It's like kind of like, well, it worked for us, but I don't know if I'd recommend it as a life plan. Right. <laughs> it was a rough road, I can say that. I mean, we were he was 19, I was 21, and so we were very much babies having a baby and getting to know each other as well as parenthood, you know, at the same time. And before we were established or had much of a sense of self or place in the world. We were trying to raise a child and, of course, had no idea what we were doing at first. (laughs) Or now, actually. (laughs) Okay, yes, if we're going to be honest, right? (laughs) Yeah, do any of us really know what we're doing? (laughs) There's always that. But the thing is, it's not unusual, it's not uncommon to have pregnant teens, young mothers. And I think that this perhaps 
gives a good um, opportunity to look at life and what you can do. And, you know, it's it's not meaning that it's going to be devastating. Life is just that, this journey, right? Exactly. Yes. And, and that took me a little while to figure out because I I didn't know what I was getting into when I became a mother. You know, I, I don't I don't know how honest we really are with people about motherhood, specifically in terms of the identity shift that occurs and, and the, the amount of transformation that really happens on every level. And I sort of, I think I thought having a baby was kind of like you add this cute little thing to your life, <laughs> which of course is a testament to my immaturity as well, you know, as a 21-year-old. But I didn't, I, I didn't expect the, the, the train um, hitting me in, in the way that it did. And that's one of the things I try to be very, very honest about uh, when I write about motherhood is the identity shift that occurs that I'm not entirely sure we openly talk about. You know, we seem to frame motherhood as sort of this very manageable thing. You know, if you buy all the right products and you read the right books, you're going to be transformed into this perfect version of yourself and you're going to know what you're doing and you're going to just, it's all going to work out really well and um, smoothly. And I, that was not my experience. And it, it, it turns out it isn't the experience of a lot of mothers as I've learned writing my blog. So yeah, it's something I try to talk about pretty openly. And that's refreshing so that this really shows us that we don't have to fit this and conform to this particular pattern that, uh, you know, if there's a, there are a million people, there are going to be a million variations. Exactly. And a million different children, right? Each <laughs> child is different as well. <laughs> so not only, you know, different mothers, but each one of them having a unique and a unique different child that means different things. And we get to define motherhood as we as we wish. And I think that that's a powerful moment when you realize that I get to do this, you know, my way in a way that works for me. And I mean, I have four children and my husband is an iron worker about two hours away from me. So he's gone a lot. And um, I mean, I wrote a book, you know, I mean, and that's, it was not easy. I went away a lot of weekends and um, it was hard to leave my family. There was guilt there, but but I know that writing means this much to me, and I wanted my children to see their mother being who she is. And so for me, that's, that's been a big piece of motherhood, is accepting that, that I can only be who I am, and I can't, I can't really pretend or, or try to fit into something that isn't going to work for me, you know? And I think that's a key word, Janelle, pretend, to really, right. to pretend to be something and someone that we're not is going to send out all these crazy messages to our kids, for one, but certainly leaves us trapped in, you know, all these really twisted kind of knots are, uh, in our own life. Absolutely. And and there is this sense of, you know, it's one of the reasons I started the blog, actually, was that I... You know, I, um, I'm also a recovering alcoholic, and so I'm nine years sober, and I was actually separated from my children for two years, from 2007 to 2009. I started the blog in 2011, sort of after waking up, um, kind of feeling sort of dropped into motherhood, although I had been a mother before. I was not entirely conscious, I suppose is a good word. And, um, and I started looking for mothers talking about my experience of motherhood, and I couldn't. I couldn't find 
where I fit. And so a sort of natural curiosity of, you know, am I the only one who feels this way drove me to, to start writing the blog, you know, just to, to see if I was alone. And I kind of thought, well, you know, either I'm crazy or, or the rest of this mainstream mothering world is crazy. And I got to know which one it is. You know, if, I, if I'm the crazy one, that's okay, but I want to know. And so I decided I was just going to write the truth of my experience, no matter how sort of con- contradictory or conflicting it was, you know, sentimental one day and sarcastic and, you know, sort of um, ranting another day. And because I, I really think that, that motherhood is this intersection of feeling like you would just die for your children and that they are such a huge part of your life. And then also feeling kind of erased by the monotony and the, and the sort of primal routine of it all. Um, you know, I mean, I don't particularly enjoy driving around all the time and cleaning constantly and trying to balance work and motherhood. I mean, it's exhausting. And so I couldn't, I couldn't find um, anyone really talking about that, that ambiguity and that sort of liminal space that I think a lot of mothers occupy. And that's, yeah. you've painted this incredible picture. So therefore, the result of, what was the result of finding after the blog? Were you the crazy one? Or are there many who resonate with you? Oh, no, definitely <laughs> many who resonate. Turns out I'm not special at all. <laughs> definitely not special. Um, yeah, there's a ton of us. And that's um, one of the one of the real rewards of, I mean, the, the greatest reward of that blog, I was, it was so unexpected. You know, I wrote it just for fun. I had been writing since I was a young girl, uh, just for myself. And um, I, I, for the first couple of years of my blog, I had about 40 readers and 20 of them were my cousins. And I would write a post and call my mom and she'd say, oh, you're so funny. Or, you know, oh, that was really great. And so I'd keep going. And and then I had a post sort of go viral a couple years into writing and, you know, it sort of exploded. And all of a sudden there was this whole community building up around um, women just committed to being really honest about their experience. And that was a really, really sort of sacred feeling to watch this thing come up, you know, um, surrounding this writing. It was it was really wonderful. So, yeah, it turns out I'm not alone at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a huge gift in itself to uh, you needed to do it for yourself. So you ventured forth, you know, come hell or high water kind of thing. And others right. have been able to realize, hey, you know, we have kindred spirits out there where there is no like perfect way that we have to be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, and that's just been spectacular. It's, it's uh, you know, this sort of little group of people who are like, yeah, you know, I mean, maybe we're into PTA, maybe we're not, you know, maybe we are exhausted, maybe we're not. And I think motherhood can be so isolating, you know. I mean, we're kind of in our houses and we're driving around and we're doing this life and and I think you can feel kind of alone. I know I did, you know. So it's pretty nice to to realize you're not alone. And still have the uniqueness there. Uh, For all the talk that we have and wanting to be nonconformist, there's still that feeling that there's this ideal motherhood. Well, the truth is, you know, if we're individuals, it's all individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and there's this, I think that there's an added layer of, you know, shame or, or guilt because 
we, you know, motherhood is the most important job in the world. It's the most sacred job in the world. And we're sort of bombarded all the time with these messages of, you know, you become the voices in your children's heads. And, you know, it all goes back to mothering. That seems to be the story, right? You know, if we, we look at someone who's really got a messed up life or is a criminal, so it's like, oh, well, his mother didn't love him or something. And so I think that, that women, you know, mothers are, are, are sitting there going, you know, oh, my goodness, I need to do this right. And so we turn to help, you know, we turn to people to help us and then find out, you know, those methods may or may not work in our family. And so I think there's this added layer of responsibility and heaviness to motherhood. And so it it becomes very difficult to grapple with your own imperfection because the stakes are so high, you know. I mean, we care. And we lie down at night and feel guilty or, you know, we yelled today or my house isn't clean or, you know, I, I've been gone at work for two weeks. Am I ruining my kids? And, and, and I think that just getting okay with the fact that we don't necessarily become perfect versions of ourselves the day we become mothers is, is a huge piece of the blog and also the book. You know, for me it was alcoholism, but I think that – you know, all mothers and parents in general grapple with the fact that you're still just you. You know, you've got these sacred little beings that you're trying to raise and you're just a human. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And one of the key things that always comes to mind in, in discussing uh, parenting is something I learned in a seminar, oh, ages and ages ago, that. You know, your parents did the best they could with what they had to work on, work with. Yes. Right? There's, yes, yeah. I think that's that. I actually say something almost verbatim in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't wake up in the morning saying, now, let me see, what can I do to really mess up Susie or Johnny today? You know, no. <laughs> parents don't do that. We just do the best no. we can. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Now, so thrown into this, though, and you've uh, mentioned it a couple of times, having the alcoholism in your life, this is also, or drug substance abuse in life is not unusual in, you know, just vast numbers of us. And to, again, speak to this so honestly and its effect on life, I think, again, is so uh, important and, if you will, refreshing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, it it wasn't exactly the the direction of the book, you know, when I was early writing and sort of envisioning the book I might write someday. I'm not entirely sure this was the one, you know, because it's a very vulnerable topic. It's a very difficult thing to talk about motherhood and addiction. Um, but as the years passed, I, I think I saw an opportunity to maybe be helpful to some people with my story just because... I am a mother who was unable to stay sober for her children, and I think that's often the story that we hear um, from women who have substance abuse issues is the day that they find out they're pregnant or that their baby is born, they are sort of struck sober out of love for their child, which is wonderful, I mean, obviously. But that isn't the case with, with a lot of addict mothers, and I think I wanted to speak on that a little, that um, to complicate the idea a little that, that love is enough to treat the disease because once it's progressed past a certain point, I, I don't know how, how effective love really is. You know, it, become, it needs to be treated. And I spend a lot of time with alcoholic mothers in, at the homeless shelter and in rehabs. And, you know, they're dying and they're, they're very, very sick. And um, 
And I think coming at them with, but don't you love your kids? You know, that that kind of just adds another burden, a layer of burden of shame and uh, doesn't necessarily address their problems. So I thought I would speak on um, on that on that and talk about what it was like to lose my children and to want them with all my heart and to still not get sober and what it took for me to get sober. That was what, that was why I went into that uh, maelstrom <laughs> and <laughs> kind of took one for the team. I felt like, <laughs> okay, sure. I'll be the one to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing yeah. is, I think we're at least slowly acknowledging that these addictions are a disease. So when we right. think of it in context of disease, we're not going to say because, oh, you've got cancer. Don't you love your kids? Can't you get over it? I, I think we, right, you know, right, some right. people may not like that kind of comparison, but I think there, it, it's an analogy that we have to consider. I agree with you. I mean, in the same thing when someone is suffering from a mental illness, you know, I think it gets a little hazier, but, um, but I agree with you. Addiction is one of the few things that we are really holding on to this question of um, morality and willpower, even though the science is quite definitive that this is a disease of the, of the brain. I mean, it's a rewiring of the pleasure system that, that hijacks the, the person and makes them compulsively pursue a substance at, at all costs, which is why love, you know, is, is ineffective because... Um, because it doesn't care, you know, it, it frankly doesn't care how much you love your children. And I had to realize that, that, that it didn't matter how much I wanted to be a mother and a wife and a friend and an employee, as long as I wasn't treating my alcoholism, as long as I was continuing to, to feed this disease, I was going to get the same result, which was more, you know, the, the progression of the, of the illness. And so I, um, I'm glad to see that we are coming around on that, but I'm also surprised by the adam the adamant um, refusal to accept it as a disease that a lot of people seem to have, just because it is so destructive and it is so insidious um, that you would think we would be a little more. Yeah, but you know, I think addicts have such terrible symptoms. You know, I mean, we we're really obnoxious and we do a lot of harm, and I think so. It's very hard to. You know, when somebody who has cancer or somebody has another illness like that, you can kind of, you know, they're not, they don't have such obnoxious symptoms where you're like, gosh, you're really, you're really terrible. <laughs> um, and so I think it's really difficult to see an addict as a sick person. Um, and, I, and I don't think that that means, by any means, that we deserve an excuse or that we don't need to take responsibility for our treatment or for our ownership of this disease. That's not what I'm saying um, at all. And in fact, you know, with the cancer analogy, if somebody says, you know, well, it's not, you know, somebody has cancer, and I mean, are they really going to say, well, I'm not going to treat it, it's not my fault, I have it, because that's one of the major um, statements against addiction as a disease, is this idea that it removes responsibility from the addict. Well, it's like, no, you know, you, you want to get well. And it wasn't until I learned and understood that I had a disease that I, that I got better. I had to understand that, you know that it would never change and that my mind was always going to tell me these lies and that I had to treat my alcoholism all the time, which I continue to do even nine years later. <laughs> so we realize it's a process. And, uh, yes. and even getting to that point of acknowledgement is a process. Uh, but to maybe keep 
sounding the message of seek help. You know, it it is something that is treatable in the sense of you're being able to learn how to control it. Right. You never recover from it in the sense of it, you know, you can go in remission, but it's never gone. And I am acutely aware of that, you know, that I can never take alcohol in any substance or any mind-altering substance for that matter. But yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of resources and, and just continuing to seek help. It's just so, so many people don't make it. And so many people are affected by this disease. And that's really why I wrote this book was to speak on that, you know, to speak to those people and I mean, and secondarily, all of the mothers who feel like they've got some fatal flaw that's really messing things up. <laughs> right. It may not be yeah. a substance addiction, but there are various forms of addiction that contribute to um, all of our behaviors and, and what we want to accomplish in our life. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so one of the things, though, leading to the addictions that struck me is you you mentioned how your father was an alcoholic, is an alcoholic. Uh, But there's that awareness of how that substance abuse in family life contributes to the children. Did that awareness actually have any impact on you? You know, my, um, so my parents divorced when I was seven and uh, my dad is now sober, actually, which is wonderful, about 12 years sober. So he lived on Northern, in Northern California and we lived in kind of central California, so a few hours apart, about five, six hours apart from each other. So I didn't see him a lot, but I I knew he was an alcoholic, and my mom used to tell me, you know, it's a genetic disease, you know, don't don't ever drink, you can't ever drink, and she was taking us to the LDS church. So I was shown a very clean way of living and a very a very loving parents, and um, though I didn't see my father super often, he was a very loving man and um, very kind man, and So it was interesting because I knew intellectually that I shouldn't drink because of the dangers of the genetic component of addiction. I also had an aunt and uncle die of this disease. Um, You know, it's it's rampant in my family. And yet when I was presented with (laughs) the opportunity to drink uh, as a teenager, I just took it. And that was a very baffling thing that I... um, I, it, I, I sort of told myself, well, you know what, I, I'm going to learn from my dad. You know, I'm going to learn from his, his bad decisions. I'm going to um, not go down that path. I'm going to do it better, and I'm going to be okay. And, but I can tell you that him getting sober, he got sober in 2005. Um, now, that had a huge impact on my sobriety because I knew how he drank, and I knew I drank just like him, and I thought – well, gosh, if he can do it, so can I. And um, so, so yeah, I, I definitely had the gene because the, the second it was presented to me, I, I took it. And I don't even know why. I don't know how to explain that, honestly. Um, but then the recovery was also largely in, you know, watching him. So that's kind of a beautiful thing, I guess. It is, absolutely, yeah. to just see that that circle of life co- coming mm-hmm. around, how, yes, genetically mm-hmm. it was there, but his sobriety impacted you. And, you know, does it then make you think about your children having seen what you've gone through, you know, has those are teaching moments. Of course, you don't control them once they're out on their own, but uh, all of that, such lessons Yes. Yeah. It is. And I, 
you know, not only that, but when I was very sick from 2007 to 2009, he helped take care of my children, which was a really remarkable sort of amends that he made and a way that he sort of healed our relationship. You know, having not been there much when I was a child, he got sober and was then there for my children when I couldn't be there, which was, you know, that's one of the real gifts of sobriety, the way that we can heal relationships. And that, and that's you know, ultimately, I really want this message of hope for people that you can go down to the bottom and you can come back and your family can be repaired. Um, I know I'm very lucky to have, you know, the same husband and the same kids and all that. Uh, that's not usually the story um, or not always the story, but but it is possible and it is possible to have a really standard, joyful family. And, you know, my two younger children have never seen me drink. Um, they've never seen my father drink. None of the kids remember my father drinking. And so it's essentially erased from their memories. Um, I am, you know, you brought up my own kids. I'm, I'm terrified of that with them. I'm terrified of the genetic component and I want to beg them never to try anything. Um, knowing of course that those that begging is probably ineffective, but I am one of the things that I am is extremely honest about my alcoholism. I don't talk about drugs with my kids. They're too young. My oldest is 16 and that's just not something I want to normalize. Mm -hmm. Um, I know they'll read the book someday when they're adults and that will all be out in the open. But I, I mean, they see me going to meetings, they see me treating my alcoholism and I, I don't deny it and I don't hide from it because I'm always going to own you know, what happened and that I was gone. And I, I want to validate their experience, especially my oldest child who remembers me being gone. Um, so I'm just going to try for honesty and being very upfront and explaining to them the dangers of it. And, uh, and if we ever cross those roads, you know, I'll be there to help. But it, it is pretty terrifying, I have to say. I wish that were different. <laughs> well, you're doing all that you can with your own sobriety. I, I feel that you're, again, modeling that, and you know how strong that is from the experience with your dad. So that's so significant. I just so appreciate, Janelle, um, what you are doing, writing this book. I'm just happy to be here. It's like it's something that had to happen and giving this opportunity for the rest of us to have that look inside ourselves and accept ourselves for who we are, you know, the flaws as well as all the great things that go on. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was one of the things I noticed when I was writing it that really came clear to me was in looking at, you know, because the book is very much about motherhood and addiction, those two themes together. Um, and the, the later part of the book is largely after I get sober, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> there's a happy ending. Um, I largely talk about motherhood and, and my lineage, you know, my mother and my grandmothers. And that was something that really struck me was that in many ways the, 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 some of the flaws of my mother were also the things that made her so amazing and made me the person I am, you know, that her imperfections and her idiosyncrasies in many ways formed me into who I am and uh, taught me a lot about humans and resilience and uh and and so as you say we can be you know we can be okay even even with these imperfections yeah yes
So the book, so, so important in our lives and just freshly out so we can pick up a copy at any of our favorite book sources. Right, Chanel? That's right. I hope you do. Yes. And thank you so greatly again for writing this and for spending time with us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. And you'll want to check out Janelle Hanchett's website. That's renegademothering.com. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Janelle Hanchett and Sunday Morning Magazine with Luke Miner from Washington State's Get Program. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Click on the On Air tab, then Sunday mornings, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of dreaming. What great experiences does the future hold for you? Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning.